Hi there, you're listening to episode two of F&B Soundbites, a podcast on hot topics, trends and challenges for professionals in the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Hamish McCook. I'm joined today by Rhys Davies, a business director at Becker, an expert in cold storage. Rhys has delivered more than 100 projects and ever the professional with a genuine passion for helping businesses improve and evolve. With more than 30 years experience in the food and beverage industry in Australia, uh, it's fair to say he's a veteran who has seen his fair share of change in the industry. In this episode, we talk about all things cold storage and how to improve it to meet growing demand and reduce rising costs and what you should be doing before you start building them. Uh, good morning, Reese. How are you going? Hi, Hamish. Um, so we, I think we both are in agreement that the the cold chain and cold stores are an absolutely integral part of the modern food and beverage supply chain. Um, without them, we wouldn't have one, um, I would say. And But Reese, I'm interested, you know, a lot of people around the industry um, do tend to dismiss the white box at the back of the factory or the white box in the field, um, which product goes into and then sits for a while and is shipped off. And so the value of the the cold store, um, I think, is overlooked sometimes. Reese, would you would you mind giving us your take on, on why we should be interested in cold storage? So Hamish, um Cold stores, chilled and frozen stores are a really important part of uh, the cold chain, uh, an important part of the cold chain that uh, keeps uh, produce fresh, uh, keeps products fresh uh, and um, preserves them um, for our use. Um, people may not think they're important, but people think their fridge is important. And if you look at uh, over the past uh, 20 years, uh, the number of fridges and sizes of fridges that we have in our homes has increased. And um, that goes with uh, increased uh, GDP and the requirement for cold storage to support uh, our use of those products is, um, has increased also at uh, a greater rate than general GDP. And for that reason, they, they're really important to us. Um, uh, We've got to fill our fridges with something, and that's where it comes from. That's right. Uh, I must admit, over lockdown, uh, my fridge came in very handy. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, too handy, I have to say. So, Reese, I know that that you've been involved in a lot of cold storage projects over the years, um, but someone the other day told me that you'd been involved in something like a third of the projects in um, the public cold storage space over the last few years. Is that right? Hamish, we're uh, in Australia. We have designed uh, and uh, managed more of the public cold storage capacity in Australia than any any other company. Um, we're very proud of that fact. Uh, and and over 30 years of doing that, in fact, more than 35 years, more than 30 years of doing that, um, uh, we've seen a lot of change, a lot of development. Yeah. Uh, I can recall when we started in cold storage. Uh, it was pretty unusual to have a facility that was more than five pallets high. And uh, really? now with automation, uh, that can be you know, in excess of 10, 15, yeah. 20 pallets uh, in height. That's a amazing. complete change. Um, the, the types of equipment uh, that uh, are used to um, uh, handle mm. uh, products have changed uh, considerably as well. And there's some really exciting um, uh, manual handling and automatic handling uh, equipment out there in the market that makes a difference. 
Mm. Um, the use of the mat- of materials. So uh, when I started, um, in fact, for most of the time I've been working in cold storage, the use of expanded polystyrene has been uh, pretty much standard. Mm. Uh, but about uh, 20 years ago, that started to change. People became concerned uh, about the fire properties of, of expanded polystyrene. It was often referred to as liquid petrol. And, and now uh, uh, the use of different urethanes, particularly polyisocyanurate, yes. uh, as an insulation material is, um, is, is pretty much standard. Mm. Um, fire systems have changed considerably. Uh, we uh, didn't use um, sprinklers very much in uh, cold stores uh, 30 years ago, mm. uh, convincing ourselves uh, with the help of the codes that uh, cold storage um, wasn't at risk, but um, okay. many fires have proved that yeah, they're wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. And now um, uh, VESA systems are quite common and sprinkler systems, mm. uh, even in sub-zero temperatures. Mm. Okay, wow, that's interesting. So there's been a lot of technology change over the years. Um, that is important to know. And if you're not inside that, that that white box in the field, you may not be aware of that. So, well, since you've been involved in so many projects, can you share with our listeners some of the key things that you look for when you're approaching the design um, of a facility? What what are the what are the main leverage points that you're you're looking to work on to get the best from the investment? Well, Hamish, when you look at a facility or you're starting a new facility, you're starting a design, anything's possible. There are two areas that I think that are most important to focus on. And the first is in material and people movements. And that starts in a yard yeah. with movement of vehicles. What type of vehicles are you going to have? What sort of uh, reversing space do they need? What circulation space do they need? And how do you handle security? Mm-hmm. Uh, the docking arrangements um, to preserve cold chain compliance. We've developed some, some um, really uh, engaged cold compliant docking arrangements. We pioneered those uh, here in Australia. Yeah, we, we refer to them as, um, as captive docks. Uh, and um, they've really been picked up and, as I say, pretty much standard now. Then through uh, receiving of goods, staging of goods, warehousing, and then the reverse, picking, assembling, uh, staging and dispatch. That flow is really important for the efficient operation of a facility. Um, Associated with that is the sort of storage that you use. So uh, conventional racking is still pretty common. Yeah. Uh, but if you really want uh, dense storage, then there are more exotic forms of conventional racking and also automatic uh, storage and retrieval systems. Yeah. Uh, and ad- the advantage of uh, automation, of course, is that you can increase height and with increased height, uh, you can um, increase the density of your storage and uh, the cost of a cold store is pretty much related to the cube. Uh, you can get yes. more in the cube if you're if you're higher than if you're smaller and less, uh, less land right. intensity. Um, if you can store a certain number of pallets in a smaller lot, that certainly helps you on the east coast of Australia where land is, is very dear and availability is, is limited. Oh, so there's quite a few, actually quite a few moving parts when you're looking at the um, selection of the, the flow and the style of, of warehouse and how the materials move through it. What else is important for you when you're looking at? Well, the other thing that's um, fundamentally important in cold storage is keeping the facilities cold. Uh, and yep. you've got a number of options uh, in how you go about that um, mm. in basic refrigerant types. Uh, ammonia is still pretty much the standard, uh, but increasingly uh, councils and operators are becoming concerned about uh, the safety of the use uh, of ammonia. Uh, it's still mm. pretty much the gold standard and um, uh, for, for most temperatures, uh, the most energy efficient uh, refrigerant. Uh, but charges are getting larger and larger. It's not uncommon now to have uh, ammonia charges in refrigerant 
um, at, uh, plants yeah. of well in excess of five or even 10 tonnes, which is a lot of yeah. ammonia to, okay. to, to keep. Alternatively, you can look at CO2, and with CO2, you don't completely eliminate the use of ammonia, but you can very much reduce that charge. And so in particular applications, that's also gaining in popularity. Yeah, no, that's good. That, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. That's something we're looking at for a, for a project over here as well. Okay, what else? So we've got the flow of materials, um, looking at the automation possibilities, maximising the cube and the refrigeration. I think overall, Hamish, it's really important to uh, understand the value of your investment, um, yes. the value of investing money uh, now. Cold storage facilities are uh, expensive to build, they're expensive to run, uh, and they're very expensive to maintain. The money you spend in, the, in an initial investment uh, can um, make a huge difference. In fact, if it's spent wisely, of course, it will make a huge difference in the whole of life cost of your facility. Very tempted, uh, as everyone is, uh, when they start a project to go for the absolute minimum capital cost. And that's a, that's a legitimate uh, driver. But I guess you've got to be aware that you can cut costs and cut costs, and uh, it does get to a point where you're compromising your whole of life uh, cost for a facility. Refrigeration's a, a classic. Um, you can pretty much make refrigeration systems uh, as cheap as you like, yeah. uh, but uh, you, you'll pay an operating cost, and you'll pay from day one, and you'll pay till day X. Um, so you, it's important to find the right balance of initial capital cost operating cost, maintenance cost, mm. and with the refrigeration also dependability is important. So what degree of redundancy do you have on your main systems? Mm. So those are things that you need to consider. You need to understand and choose what's right for you, right for your investment and right for the life of your facility. Right, Reese. so um, at the moment we've you know entered a, an ultra low interest rate environment and I guess we're expecting, uh, hearing the people um, from the Reserve, the Reserve Bank of Financial Institutions projecting, this is going to be a low interest rate environment for several years at least. Does that change the whole equation in terms of um, how you approach an investment and or whether you will approach an investment in cold storage? Well, Hamish, we're seeing that does create a change. Our customers are now saying to us that they're more likely to consider investing themselves in cold storage rather than working mm. through a third party. Yeah. Uh, the advantage of self-ownership uh, is that uh, um, with, the, with low interest rates, um, you've got the opportunity to uh, finance, self-finance a facility um, and in self-financing you end up with a lower cost of capital uh, than you do if you go to a third party to uh, design, build and own a facility which you lease and the difference between uh, the yield that that investor requires Hmm. And the cost of capital to your organisation uh, is is a sum of money that's uh, that's available to you and to your shareholders, uh, and you can keep that in house. And uh, one of the drivers of uh, going to third party providers has also been that um, you can uh, keep these facilities off um, off balance sheet. But with uh, changes yeah. in accounting rules now, you you that's, uh, that that advantage just isn't there to the same degree. So oh. uh, if you've got to account mm. for the facility, uh, notwithstanding the fact that uh, it's a lease, which is your asset yep. rather than mm. the facility itself, well, that uh, also uh, removes a, a previous advantage of uh, are working through third parties. So increasingly clients are saying to us, they'd like to consider developing their own cold stores. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously that's not something people do every day and there are risks associated with that. You've got to be careful that you do it right. Um, but uh, if people are, are seeking uh, help uh, to get their yeah. investments uh, right and, man and manage them and own them themselves. Yeah. 
That's fascinating. That is it's certainly an interesting um, subject area, Reese. So um, I'll just I'll play some of that back to you, and and then perhaps you can um, uh, round it off for our listeners at the end as well around some of the key key messages there. But we, I think we both are in strong agreement about the, um, the 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 central role that cold storage facilities play in the food and beverage supply chain, and and around key levers and approaching a new facility or the design of a facility, um, start with the, the flow of materials, how they flow, the level of automation, and how, as you said, maximising the cube, um, which I thought was a really cool term. So, and the, and the other part is around the refrigeration envelope, the system, the refrigerants that are being used, um, and the level of efficiency and the, 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 the trade-offs between capital um, cost and efficiency with those systems as well. And and you raise some really interesting points around how some people are viewing a new opportunity to look at investing in these facilities as an owner directly investing in it as opposed to having third party storage or some of those things that have changed. I thought that was that was um, really relevant. So, um, Reese, um, any f- final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with this morning? Yes, thanks, Amish. Look, it's been great. Uh, I guess final thoughts are. To potential uh, uh, developers of uh, new stores, uh, the devil's in the detail. Uh, remember that uh, these are hard-working, uh, expensive uh, facilities, and uh, mm-hmm. it's important to get the detail right and uh, avoid some of the legacies that we see in uh, old stores here that are mm-hmm. uh, costing customers dearly. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Reese, uh, and thank you to our listeners as well for joining us. Joining us, um, I look forward to bringing you another episode of F and B Sound Bites. Until then, as we say in New Zealand, hi and farewell. Mm-hmm.